0: Now, we called it Surprise, Surprise, and uh, it's, it's, the thinking is this, that in the course of that week prior to Jesus' crucifixion, uh, there are quite a few surprises and things that you think, well, why did that happen? Why did that happen? James is going to talk a little bit today about Palm Sunday. Next week, Simon's here, and he's going to talk a little bit about those rather strange events of the temple and uh, the fig tree. Uh, and then I've got the one, on the third one, which is going to be about the teaching that Jesus challenged. Um, as he came to uh, meet the leaders during that final week and then the last one will be very much about um, Gethsemane and and the events around that so that's the plan and the the normal format is that the speaker will speak for a bit and then sling some questions out for you to talk about on your tables and then be thinking about one real good question to today stump James if you can Um, is that all right? All me, thank you very much. Sir. Um, but that's how it is. So, without further ado, it gives me great delight to hand over to the one and only Reverend James Weinmark. I'll
1: you oh, stop. Your two can't stop it. Okay, maybe a bit more. No, it's fine. fine, fine. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Um, Thank you for um, having me. Uh, I was was due to um, uh, appear slightly later on, uh, but I've been called for jury service. That's fun, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever been called for jury service. Um, So uh, at the last minute, Dave had to do a bit of a jig around. But... um, I hope I'm not setting the bar too low uh, in light of the theological titans that you're about to have uh, through the Lent course. Um, but uh, I know Dave's already prayed, but I wonder if we might just pray um, just once again briefly just as we um, uh, open up uh, Matthew 21 uh, this afternoon. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time of Lent. And we thank you for the time that it gives us to think and reflect and reflect to confess and to contemplate. Would you reveal more of yourself to us this afternoon? Help us to understand you more fully, to know you more deeply, and to love you more completely. Amen. Amen. Now, um, some of you uh, sort of might know this already, but just over two and a half years ago, uh, my wife and I and uh, one of our children, because the other one wasn't quite born yet, uh, moved into our house uh, on Badger Farm uh, for me to begin my curiosity here at Christchurch. And we had to measure up uh, for all our blinds and our curtains because, you know, the house is completely empty. And uh, I am not at all an expert in the world or the practice of, of do-it-yourself. Um, but needs must. We need curtains, otherwise we'd wake up very, very early. Um, so I you know, had my, my trusty tape measure, uh, and I went about uh, measuring up all the uh, curtains and you know, uh, windows or all the blinds or whatever else that we were uh, deciding to put up. Uh, and you know being a, a bit of a novice and, and not at all an expert, you know I checked and double-checked and I got Jen to help me, and some of the windows were a bit wonky, but it's fine. I kind of got on with it and of course all the time we were growing with excitement uh, about how amazing and wonderful our our new house was uh, going to look and we found one of these companies online and you can get them sort of there's quite a few of them where you literally sort of you give them your measurements uh, you select the the type of blind whether it's a roller blind or it's curtains or it's sort of you know those what we call the vertical blinds whatever you kind of select all of that what color you like you just put all that information in uh, and then they send you the blinds and it's just, it's wonderful, you don't have to sort of, you know, go to a shop or anything. So that's what we did. Uh, we ordered our, our first lot of blinds, and one of them was for our sort of bathroom window, which is probably, I don't know, sort of that by that. You know, one of these sort of single, you know, UPVC windows. So I was very excited. We we chose a bright, bold colour. So we thought, let's have something a bit bold and bright in the bathroom. And, um, and, and then the parcels arrived, and this one particular parcel arrived. And I thought, oh, it's not... It's not quite the size I was expecting it to be. And, uh, of course, as I began to open this parcel, I very quickly realised uh, that somehow, um, it might have been the company, it might have been me, uh, got inches and centimetres slightly confused. Uh, and so I, I have uh, the blind with me today that uh, is for our bathroom window uh, that I opened up out of this uh, package. And, um, oh, hang on, it's got a bit stuck... There we go. It's a beautiful roller blind (laughs) for a very, very small window. (laughs) So if you know anybody that's got a doll's house, (laughs) then I've I've got this uh, for you. So somehow, yes, inches and and centimetres got confused. So I think in future, when we move again, I think I might be leaving uh, the measurements to somebody else um, who can actually know the difference between inches and centimetres. Um, Dave mentioned, didn't he? Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the events of Holy Week uh, are quite surprising. Uh, The expectation of people versus what they actually got, what Jesus gave them, it didn't always seem to match up or make sense, did it? I wonder if you've ever noticed that. The events of Holy Week defy our expectations, And so over the course of this course, we're going to explore together what these events say to us about Jesus and his kingdom. What's the the nature, what's the substance of this kingdom that Jesus is heralding and has spoken about throughout his ministry on earth? What exactly is this kingdom that the prophets of the Old Testament pointed so faithfully towards going to look like? And how will we know That it's coming. So this week we're going to look at a passage from Matthew. Uh, So Matthew chapter twenty-one, verses one to eleven. You've got if you've got a Bible with you or on your phone or tablet whatever, do grab that. Uh, But otherwise, hopefully there should be a Bible within your easy reach. So Matthew chapter twenty-one. Uh, verses 1 to 11. We're going to think about why Jesus enters the temple as he does. And as Dave said, at the end, uh, they'll, I'll, I'll kind of just throw out a few questions to you, um, and you can t- tackle as many or as few of those uh, as you like in your groups. Then what we'll do is we'll kind of just go around. If there's anything particularly that you you feel you'd like to share or that has struck you or challenged you or just made you go, how amazing, how awesome is that, then, then we'll have some time uh, to share that at the end. So if you're a note taker, feel free to kind of take some notes as we go through. Uh, it's totally fine. I won't, I won't accuse you of doing a Sudoku. Uh, so shall should we, should we dive in? So Matthew 21 verses 1 to 11. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Beginning with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, these last eight chapters are uh, the passion narrative. They're concerned with one week in the life of Christ, beginning with this victorious celebration on his arrival, which, of course, we celebrate as Palm Sunday, ending with the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And all of the Gospels devote a good chunk of time to this particular week of Jesus' life because everything that Jesus has said and done up to this point has been leading up to this week. But before we just look at the um, entry to Jerusalem itself, I just want to spend a few moments in in Matthew chapter 20. um, Because there are some really interesting and quite surprising things to note if we just kind of skip back a little bit for a moment. And and we read uh, this parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard that Jesus tells. So the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a landowner who goes out to hire some workers. He hires a number of workers throughout the day. Uh, But those that are are hired early on in the day get quite cross that those hired later in the day are paid the same by the landowner. The The last will be first, and the first will be last, says the landowner. And this, Jesus says, is just like the kingdom of heaven. And so this clearly is no ordinary kingdom And no ordinary king. And then in verses 17 to 19, Jesus predicts his imminent death for the third time. It's the third time he tells his disciples that he's going to suffer and die. And surely this would have made it unequivocally clear to them all that they were headed to Jerusalem. Jesus tells them, We're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And that emphasis there is, is mine. And, and, because they would indeed have been going up a steep incline. The road to Jer- uh, Jericho, uh, to Jerusalem, would have been a steep one. It would have been about 17 miles, and they would have ascended uh, about 3,000 feet along that journey. And Matthew adds a little bit of further detail here. He says the method of Jesus' death would be by way of crucifixion. And it would be in cooperation with the Gentiles. And so the time is drawing ever closer. And then in verses 20 to 28, we, we see this exchange between Jesus and the, and the mother of James and John. Despite Jesus' predictions of suffering and death, the disciples and their mother are thinking about privilege. And rank in the kingdom. And so he responds by telling them that to reign with him means to suffer with him. The way to glory is through suffering. And then we read the story uh, of the healing of two blind men in Jericho just before they take that journey up to Jerusalem. And the other gospels mention sort of um, two, uh, but Matthew here is, is or one, but Matthew here is showing us his personal knowledge of the events that are described. And so here Jesus is moved to compassion and heals the men in spite of the crowds, and despite all that was about to unfold with his suffering in Jerusalem. You know, there was no basking in glory or reveling in the limelight or soaking up the adulation. Jesus came to serve. And the first thing those men saw was the king. And so they joined the crowds and they followed him to Jerusalem. And the roaring of the crowds as Jesus enters Jerusalem is imminent. But before the final climb up and over the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, Jesus asks two of his followers to fetch this donkey for him. And so this is the unexpected, expected king. He comes not on a a glorious steed of great pedigree, but on a humble young donkey, as predicted by the prophet Zechariah hundreds of years before You know, when going to war, kings rode on horses. But Jesus' arrival on this cult indicated that peace, peace characterizes his kingship. He's not coming to wage war with earthly weapons of destruction or demonstrations of power, but with a humble and lowly heart of powerful and everlasting peace. You know, Jesus is the promised Messiah, but not in the way that so many expected he would be. And so Jesus now enters Jerusalem. It's all led to this. News has spread of his previous arrival in Bethany. And so there was time for the crowds to amass and to gather, especially those that had been following him. You know, Jesus had always drawn crowds wherever he went. And there were many, many people looking for the Messiah. You know, expectations were at fever pitch. And then Jesus enters. The crowds that had assembled, clamoring for a glimpse of Jesus, spread their cloaks upon the ground along with leafy branches from the trees, a symbol of honor. Hosanna, they cry. Or to put it another way, save us, please. You know, the crowds are desperate for a deliverer. And after all, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem the Sunday before Passover, the annual Jewish festival marking the freedom and redemption from Egypt. They are welcoming their triumphant leader, the one who's going to save them once and for all. But this is Jesus. The unexpected, expected King. The crowds were caught up in the messianic fervor. They knew Jesus was a prophet. They'd heard or they'd experienced his miracles. They'd hailed him as their coming King. But perhaps they hadn't grasped the suffering of the Messiah, the suffering servant. How difficult would it be for them to understand that his ride into Jerusalem As the promised Messiah wasn't to ascend to any earthly throne, but to die the most painful of deaths on the cross. This was a king whose power would be made perfect in weakness and whose strength would be made perfect in suffering. And I often wonder, I don't know if you do, what it would have been like on that day, with the crowds shouting and cheering and jostling, overcome with joy and relief at their coming king, even if they hadn't yet fully grasped what that their expectation wasn't going to match Jesus' countercultural coming kingdom. the Christian preacher and author Charles Spurgeon comments on these verses. He says, it's a mark of God's presence when the church becomes enthusiastic. We sometimes hear complaints about revivals being too exciting, but this age doesn't generally sin in the direction of being too excited concerning divine things. We have erred so long on the other side of that, perhaps A little excess in the direction of fervor might not be the worst of all calamities. At any rate, I would not fear to try it. I wonder what, Spurgeon would have made of the recent revival or uh, awakening as it's been called in Asbury. Uh, you might have seen this uh, on the news, but about a month ago on the 8th of February, a group of students encountered God in the chapel of Asprey University in Wilmore, Kentucky. And what began as a typical Wednesday morning service uh, with about 19 students staying afterwards to pray evolved into such a movement of God that at one point the local police had to close the main road into the city due to the overwhelming numbers of people coming to seek God. One Christian commentator was reflecting on what had happened. He noted a radical humility and a hunger for God as two of the main characteristics or drivers for this happening. He says, 19 hungry hearts ask God to fill them. And God was faithful. They were a group of people praying for freedom and for addictions to be broken. And God was faithful. So they had a hunger for the things of God. And he also noted this second characteristic of radical humility. He says, soul after soul has come, humbling themselves, kneeling before the old wooden altar in the chapel to acknowledge their fears confess their sins, and declare their need for God. And, you know, many high-profile Christian leaders and preachers uh, over the days began to sort of offer their help uh, and their services. Uh, and they, each and every one of them, were politely and humbly turned down. Not because they, they couldn't have helped, um, because, but because this wasn't about the, the leadership of the university. It wasn't about their prestige or their reputation. But this was about touching the glory of God, the glory of God who chose to come to an ordinary university chapel in an ordinary city on an ordinary day, the glorious presence of the Saviour Jesus, the unexpected, expected King. And so finally, how how does this humble yet powerful, expected and yet surprising, present and eternal kingdom speak into our lives today? How does it affect them? And what should we do about it? Well, I want to just uh, offer three things. I think we have to call on the name of Jesus. I think we have to look to him for all that we need. And I think we have to praise him. Call on the name of Jesus. Look to him for all that we need. And praise his precious name. As the people of Jerusalem did, we have to call on him to save us. Hosanna in the truest sense. If we're followers of Jesus having called on his name, we declare that his strength in weakness, in dying our death on the cross, is our strength, and it's our death. He's accepted the ultimate punishment on our behalf, and this unexpected, expected king is our king. He is Lord and Lord of all. And secondly, if Jesus Christ really is the remedy for this race that we're running, we have to look to him for all that we need, for healing, for breakthrough, for perseverance, for, for a hunger for the things of the kingdom, even when we don't see or experience them for ourselves. He gives abundantly to those who seek him, not, not in our timing, as frustrating as that often is. Uh, but in his. You know, he isn't some distant and aloof king that we can't touch or identify with or or hope to be like. He is present with us in all things. He's with us by his Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts. And he sent Jesus to show us how to be, how to live, and how to love. And we won't get all of that ticked off you know, to perfection, this side of heaven. But we are promised an eternity to get it right. And thirdly, he deserves our praise, our thanks, our gratitude, our time and attention and our love and our devotion. And so how are we showing that to him this Lent season and in our daily lives? Because all glory belongs to him, not just because of what he did, the healing and the miracles on earth, but because all power is given to him in heaven and on earth. He has authority over all things, over life and death, over sickness and health, the natural and the supernatural. And actually, I think there's never enough time and or anywhere near enough praise for us to express all that he is and all that he does. And like all Jesus' followers in our uh, scripture this afternoon, though we may not understand everything he's doing, we can be confident that when we follow him with love and devotion, we proclaim him as the coming king. We are giving him the glory and the authority that he's due and the permission for him to use us to tell others Of his coming kingdom. And there will always be opposition to Jesus Christ. And many who might say, Well, you know, if Jesus was the Messiah like he said he was, then why didn't he bring an age of peace and glory with him now, like straight away? There will be some who maintain that he was a prophet, but he wasn't God. And others will say, well, you know, his death was you know, a nice example of love, but it wasn't redemptive. It didn't save humankind and set things right. But the promises of Scripture tell us a totally different story. They tell us that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. That he came to the world to suffer and die for all that we've done wrong and all that we will do wrong. And that apart from him, there is no peace with God and no hope for peace in this world. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was surprising and compelling. It was humble and yet pivotal for the entirety of human history. It was lowly, but it was regal. It was a truly triumphal entry because it set in motion the fulfillment of his mission on earth to suffer and die as the ultimate and forever sacrifice for our sin and wrongdoing. In his death is triumph over sin, and in his resurrection is victory over the grave. No human, no mortal has ever or will ever accomplish anything close All human kings have returned to the dust of the earth. But Jesus Christ is alive forevermore because he has conquered death to bring us life. Amen. Amen. I wonder if I might just throw out a few uh, questions for you consi- to consider. Um, it's, not, it's not a test. Um, if you can't remember them all, don't worry. Um, if you kind of got some other questions, that is totally totally fine. Uh, but I'll just offer up a, a few uh, for you to think about uh, and be challenged by over the next few minutes uh, and then we'll have about 10-15 minutes to sort of discuss that on our tables and then if there is anything you kind of want to share um, with everybody afterwards, um, we'd love to uh, hear from you. I'll, I'll sort of run around and uh, pass the microphone about. So a few questions you might want to think about. Um, one, in no particular order, perhaps think about the most surprising thing for you about the story of Palm Sunday. What's the most surprising thing for you? Maybe uh, as a second question, as a member of the crowd there that day, what might you be thinking or experiencing if you place yourself in that crowd as Jesus enters What might be some of the things that you might be experiencing or thinking or feeling? Uh, Thirdly, um, what do you think? For you, what does Palm Sunday reveal to us about God's kingdom and what it stands for? Uh, Hopefully, I've given you a few clues. (laughs) But uh, if there's anything else that kind of springs to your mind, maybe have a think about that. Uh, And then fourthly... Uh, how might you, this might be one for you to just consider, but you might want to sort of share it to be accountable. Um, How might you spend time this Lent reflecting on uh, and celebrating, being part of this uh, expected, unexpected kingdom, this upside down countercultural kingdom of Jesus? And then finally, um, how do you or how will you live your life differently knowing you're a part of God's kingdom? Uh, So something surprising about Palm Sunday. Maybe place yourself in that crowd. What, what might you be thinking or feeling? Uh, what for you does Palm Sunday reveal about God's kingdom? Uh, how might you spend time this Lent reflecting on all of that? And then how will you live your life differently knowing that you're a part of God's kingdom? Uh, so have a think about any or all of those as you wish. Are we saying 10 minutes, 15 minutes? 15 minutes. 15 minutes over to you, um, and then we'll gather back together uh, for some, some thoughts afterwards. So in the next minute or two, if you just want to um, bring your discussions to a close, uh, we'll uh, go around and see what you've been uh, thinking about and challenged by. Okay. If uh, if you're ready, uh, as I say, there's no. Um No requirement to sort of you know try and sort of say anything if you if you don't want to. But maybe if we just have one or two uh, thoughts or or comments or or questions uh, from each table, that would be really helpful. And and just an encouragement, really. You might think, oh, well, what I was thinking of saying, I I won't say. Uh, But actually, don't underestimate how much it might encourage uh, somebody else. What might seem sort of you know fairly elementary and fairly standard for you, uh, might be something that really encourages. Uh, somebody else. Um, so I would encourage you in that. Um, so, is anyone particularly uh, table uh, on a particular table wants to go first, or shall I just spin round and point at someone? <laughs> the fickle finger of fate, as my English teacher used to um, say on the register. I'm going to head over this way and then come to come to this. Any anyone on table number five? Oh, of course, Sheila's the spokesperson. <laughs> Love you, Sheila. Uh, so, yeah, any, any thoughts or, or comments that you've been uh, chatting about?
2: Yeah, I mean, we... we no, was, he was attracting a crowd, but that crowd didn't really, I don't think, ever understand, did they, why they were attracted to him? They would have heard about miracles. Um, but, um, and we had one of these other things, um, what would you be thinking or feeling... And I think a lot of them would think that he was there to defeat the Romans and was actually going to be a king or an emperor or whatever, um, which we know isn't true. For us, we know, though, and we came to the celebration bit. Um, for us, we know that all in hindsight now, so we should be celebrating, we should be living differently. Is that... Is that?
1: Yeah, yeah, we were we were sort of talking about um, sort of on, the, on our table just about that idea. Obviously, it says in scripture, doesn't it? Oh, who who is he? And it's oh, this is this is a prophet. Um, would there would there have been a, maybe a few that kind of got it? But it's this idea that he was expected but unexpected at the same time. Maybe they came to sort of cheer him on and then saw this kind of mangy-looking donkey and going, oh, "What? hang on a minute. Um, but there was something, something about him, something about all that he'd done up to this point that just kind of connected hearts to his. Um, so excellent. Thank you so much. Shall I come to you guys? Any Anyone want to share anything in particular? Yes, the difference. Uh, on our table, we were talking about the... Um, difference between the crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem and the crowd that was calling for him to be crucified and someone said a very pertinent point about social media so I'll hand the microphone over
2: to them. No we just said um, how it only takes one little comment on social media and people have the feel they've got the permission to say horrible things Um, and what else did we say? That was pretty much it, that, that we are fickle. And actually, um, we're easily discouraged by negativity or people, or have you heard something about, you know. And so that's how a, a crowd can easily change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're all, we're all, to a lesser or greater degree, affected by the culture that we live in, aren't we? And if we live in a culture that says, oh, that's nice, you just do your thing over there, and I'm going to do something different. Oh, we'll allow it, but we're not going to get excited by it. That can rub off on us. And so that's why my sort of challenges at the end were just to kind of declare the name of Jesus, praise him, kind of carve you know, really, not just because you have to, you know, because, you know, in Lent someone's told you you need to do it, because it's like you're connecting with Jesus. Because um, it's so easy uh, for the culture we live in to, to wear us down or to sort of erode that excitement from our hearts. Um, and it 's important to for us to keep that because if we 're not excited about our faith, if we 're not excited, then who the heck is going to be well you know oh i don't i don 't fancy being a Christian always oh, you know what what difference does it make oh well it 's sort of all right. Um, we 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 need to not not in a fake way, you know. We walk around with sort of permanent plastic smiles, but but but, but putting that time in to connect and invest in our relationship with Jesus, uh, particularly at this time. Um, should we go? Should we go to the back? Let's go to the very uh, purple and regal looking table at the back. Um, any anyone over this way? Well, we spent a little bit of time in this hugely deeply theological difficulty. But what did he actually
0: ride in on
1: was it a colt or a donkey or both it was pointed out that in another in Luke's version he's on a colt but that would be a very tiny creature in relation to this nice little friend big friendly donkey but we did do other things as well <laughs> I believe you thousands would know of course of course. Um, What's the answer? Um, well, um, I think in terms of in t- thank you, <laughs> That's a deep theological question. Um, the, the short answer is, I think whether it's a colt or a donkey, um, I think yeah, both sort of make sense and represent this idea that he, you know he doesn't he doesn't I don't know get people to carry him uh, on some sort of elaborate construction. And like like I said in, in sort of my, my my sort of comments. You know, it, this isn't sort of the the, the best breed or, or the you know the finest clothes. Uh, this is somebody making a, a triumphal yet humble entry to Jerusalem, and so it's this sort of um, uh, this young kind of it's an unridden horse or, or colt or donkey, not horse. I've just mixed up my uh, four-legged creatures, but um, it's just this idea that this is not an animal or an entry that is is expected um, for for such a king, um, and so I think. Yeah. 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 And that's and that's Jesus saying I'm not I'm not you know sort of conforming to the pattern of this world so to speak I'm doing things a little bit differently um or very differently to to how it would have been expected. It fulfills prophecy. It fulfills prophecy. Yeah. So that's the yeah uh, from from the hundreds of years before um yeah. But I hope that's not um upset you all by <laughs> we will go and Google donkeys and colts now and see what see what the difference is. how many people would have known about those prophecies in the crowd? I I mean I'd I'll check with uh, Mr. Super Theologian Dave Fenton, but I think they would have been f- they, they would have known, wouldn't they? They would have been it would have been fairly um oh sorry, the question was how many people would have known about those Old Testament prophecies at, in, who were there at the time? Yeah, it would have been so that so the prophets were they were regularly taught so it would have been something that people would have picked up on um, at the time. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, Should we come to you, lovely people? Any any thoughts, comments, questions about donkeys or animals or anything? (laughs) Any and every question is acceptable.
2: Uh, one of the things we talked about was um, the crowd and how, uh, you know, a bit of enthusiasm or, or excitement in the crowd and how you can pick up on that and uh, not really know what's going on, this whole idea of um, who, who is he, who is he, and, and that confusion. But also the whole idea of, of the culture that you're in. They are Jews, but they are in the Roman Empire and uh, what their expectation would, have been, would be uh, determined by how the Romans were um, oppressing them. And then we talked a bit about how culturally we, we um, think about God in the, in a, in, through our, our cultural eyes and maybe that isn't really who God is and how we have to learn that God is God and not um, an Englishman sort of idea. <laughs>
1: No, it's absolutely right. It comes back to a culture. As I said, we're all affected by the culture we live in, and it's so easy to sort of go back to those points of reference in our culture. So it must have been like this, which, of course, is a natural thing to do because we need a point of reference. We need some kind of comparison. Um, but I think that's, again, going back to sort of um, just declaring the name of Jesus um, and, and spending time with him and allowing ourselves to be surprised and not just sort of go through the motions in sort of any sense. Um, almost to sort of shake off those, um, perhaps those unhelpful uh, or, or, or um, dulling, if that's the word, or the dulling of, of the reality of it. You know, this is kind of radical stuff that we're thinking about. This isn't just, you know, going through the motions. Jesus was making a, a bold uh, statement here. And so this is this is about us kind of trying to almost like just say, let me not look through the lens of, you know, Sort of me here in the twentieth, twenty-first century. That let me look through the lens of 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 the kingdom. What Jesus is showing us. Uh, anything from this lovely table over here. I,
0: uh, I love Linda's comment. She said. Uh... I don't find this surprising because I've heard it all before. I thought it was brilliant. Um, But you're still excited every year, aren't you? Yeah, she's so excited, but she's heard it all before, which is the same for all of us. I'll tell you the most surprising thing, along with the way Jesus entered, is the fact that the crowds actually responded because the Jewish leaders have spent years dumbing down religion. And flattening it all out and making it very dull and boring and, and you know, not about personal, personal relationship with God at all. And yet, when Jesus appears, suddenly hearts are on fire again. And, and that's how I'd like to leave you in a way from the, to go home with, to say when Jesus comes among us, then he lights the place up. And, and makes a difference and says things that you find, wow, That is unbelievable. And so that's, I think, where Palm Sunday, and he goes on, and what we're going to see in these next three weeks is exactly that same thing repeating, that he says says, and does things that you think, my goodness me. Now, come next week, hang on to the table. Because knowing Cansdale, he might start kicking them over and things like that. I, you know that might just to illustrate his point. You know, don't bring a fig tree with you. Whatever you do, it might not last the day. Um, but uh, you know that's what we're going to be doing next week. So there we go, James. Back to you, mate, to finish off.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it says, doesn't it, that the, the city was the city was stirred and, and, and again something I like to sort of leave you with. I think I think we, we have in our in our in our nation and I think in our world too, um, just such a, a spiritual hunger. I don't know if you've found this in sort of talking to people or or being sort of part of things here at Christchurch but I just kind of sense a real spiritual hunger and and I wonder if the sort of the this awakening and this revival this stirring of the spirit um, that we kind of saw and see in, in in Asprey is just kind of a an outpouring of that I think the events of the last kind of 18 months two three years and, and all that we're kind of continuing um to sort of live through all the challenges of of, of yeah that, that we're facing in society and globally it's just stirring this kind of spiritual hunger uh, and of course people try and satisfy that with all sorts of different things um, but we know don't we that there's only one thing that really um, satisfies that it doesn't mean we get an easy ride it doesn't mean it's all kind of hunky-dory for us as followers of Jesus um, but it gives us hope uh, and we can place our hope in Jesus. So um, shall I pray for us as we, as we finish? And then you can uh, uh, head off into your uh, afternoon. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this time that we've, we've had together. Thank you that we can gather so freely as your people. And Lord, we cry out to you for those in our world who are uh, hungry, who are oppressed, who are enduring violence and injustice. And Lord, we know that we here in in Winchester are just so blessed in so many ways. And Father, just ask that you uh, would stir our hearts for the things that stir yours. Would we be people of faith and people of action? Lord, may we just be each of us filled with your Holy Spirit so that we might uh, intercede to pray, um, to to offer our, our gifts, our resources, our time. Uh, Offer ourselves to you for whatever you are calling us to. And I pray for each one of us that um, our hunger for you would be increased. Lord, we pray for our hunger to be uh, increased. Our hunger for the things of you. And not for the things of this world, uh, but for the hope and the joy uh, of your kingdom. Your surprising, unexpected, but expected kingdom. And so would you bless each one of us as we head out into the rest of this afternoon and the rest of our weeks. Uh, And may we just know you more closely and more deeply uh, as we go about all the things that you are calling us to. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Enjoy the rest of your afternoon and uh, we'll see you very soon. God bless you.